Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in this empty capital of ours. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Mark Hodgkinson, Director of Operations of Seafone Communications, a telecommunications company based in Middlesex. Mark, hello. Hello, Matthew. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for coming on the program today. Now, normally we charge headlong into the subject of leadership, but considering the odd circumstances we find ourselves under, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how has COVID-19 affected your business? That's a very good question, Matthew, and uh, it has affected our business massively. We are in the travel industry, well, our customers are in the travel industry, and when the announcement of the airports being closed, um, our customers saw uh, a huge decrease in their income, mm. and as such, that had a, an adverse effect on, on us. Uh, so what we did was rather than uh, put our heads under the pillow and panic, we started a series of contacting our customers, explaining to them how we can help them, whether it's through gaining grants, um, looking at furloughing staff, looking at their services they offer at the moment, and how perhaps they could change those services. If you've got a taxi industry, for example, and you're delivering people, uh, but the people are afraid to use the, the taxis, then all you've got to do is uh, look at your resource, your taxis, look at where the uh, fish, where the fish are, look at where, where the uh, revenue is coming in. So what we did, we said to our customers, go and talk to the hotels, go and talk to the restaurants, become a delivery service, look at uh, all the NHS trusts, offer to move staff around, even if it's for free to begin with. Look at how you can distribute PPE equipment and testing kits throughout the UK. So um, in terms of advising customers, our customers are key, and we've been uh, actively helping them uh, maintain uh, a, a, same, a normal level of business. And that, that, that has really, really um, been one of the biggest impacts. Um, and then for uh, our own business, we've also started looking at uh, new ways of socially, um, doing social SEO, looking at marketing, uh, whether it's on radio, TV, billboards. All these things are new to us at the moment, but we've started to investigate looking at all the different types of advertising. Mm-hmm. I myself have now developed a YouTube channel. Um, so I think the pressure um, was a good thing. And the massive reset that the uh, COVID uh, crisis has caused on us has given us all time to reflect and to reevaluate our businesses. So you think in the long term for business, this could be a positive, uh, making people generate new ideas and new practices? Absolutely, Matthew. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. Um, I would say initially, uh, everyone uh, in industry probably uh, panicked, and, um, and that's natural. Nobody knew what was around the corner. Nobody could have predicted in January that uh, the airlines would be uh, closed, uh, that um, cities would be desolate, and that Disneyland would have closed its gates. Um, Mm. No one could have have said that. But the the, the good truth is that this is a cycle. 
looking back in history, there have been many uh, uh, disasters like this. And what history has taught us is, it, is that in times of uh, crisis, having um, these massive resets where you can evaluate how you react and how you can um, change what you do um, really, really have a big positive effect on, on, on how you uh, strive coming out the other side of this crisis. And I honestly can say hand on heart that this has been one of the most empowering and positive experiences for our company um, inside of this crisis where we are connecting to new people we wouldn't have ever dreamt of speaking to before uh, on a daily basis. And it really is a positive experience. Well, it's fantastic to hear that uh, amidst all this um, misery, uh, that there can be some positive uh, effects uh, to it. It gives uh, one uh, some hope for the future for business. We should move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? In times of crisis, uh, a lot of people go into their shells and leaders have the ability to get those people out of it, as I've explained what we've been doing with our uh, customers. Um, they look at a crisis and pin it on the wall. They say they have the right attitude. They say, I can't change it. I can't change this right now, but I'm going to do something positive about it. And I think it's leaders that have the ability to uh, adjust their sales um, when, the, the, when there is no wind, rather than just saying, there's no wind, nothing's happening, um, we'll just have to wait, we'll bunker down. But that's, that's not what a leader does. A leader looks around and says, how else, how, what can I get out of this situation? How can I tap into my team and motivate them? And strong leaders um, have the ability to have empathy with their peers and listen to their team. And when the pressure is on their team, sometimes good ideas come out of it and it's good leaders have the ability to convert those, out, those ideas into um, actions that um, galvanize the organization and help them achieve their vision. What would you say is the most important trait of a leader? Certainly demonstrating empathy towards your peers uh, is very important. Making sure your team is focused beyond the crisis. As I said before, this is uh, um, an evolution, this is a cycle. We're not going to be in the COVID crisis forever. So having the vision to look above the parapet and see what's ahead. Um, motivation. It's a personal choice in identifying in your team what motivates people. That's really key uh, because everyone's just different. We all have acted differently, whether we're working from home or in the office. So listening for those critical cues from your team and using them to tap into what making makes them successful, I think, is uh, uh, are important qualities for all leaders. Let's go back to the beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Did you have any role models who shaped you as you are today? Yes. Uh, at the beginning of our career, um, if I'd like to rewind a little bit before that, um, CFOAM was created many years ago out of necessity uh, by my parents. My father trained in the radio electronics industry and my mother in keeping background. They began by repairing electrical goods and learning how to have create good customer relations with their, their customers. Uh, they, then they began to branch out into assembling TV aerials, business grew, 
and uh, with my father's knowledge of aerials and specialist uh, radio, uh, he began erecting specialised areas all over the world. And although um, this wasn't going to be forever, uh, my parents decided this uh, there would be a time for change. So they moved into two-way radio. Uh, at first, they bought and sold radios, and uh, however, they noticed that uh, in the 70s, supply and demand chains used to regularly dry up. So the idea of buying um, had to be shelved, and they got the idea of designing their own two-way radios, uh, which were manufactured and used all over the planet, in fact. Um, business boomed in the 80s, and my parents uh, always adapted as technology changes changed and mindsets changed and that amazed me um, to come back to your question and in fact they dabbled in producing by today's standards uh, a hefty looking mobile phone. We had mobile phones in our vehicles before that people had mobile phones in vehicles. Uh, they worked on radio technology. Mm. Um, uh, what, but as world companies started manufacturing the boards, um, the manufacturing side of the business ceased and uh, business declined in one technology, but it re-evolved and changed and grew into another. And now my brother and I, we're embracing new technologies uh, with um, our approach to our customers' care and giving, some, giving honest appraisal and doing our best to assist our customers in becoming successful because it's their success, which is our success. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close, but before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store? Uh, for Seafone Communications? Well, like I said before, um, we've utilized and adapted existing technologies as, as lessons learned from my parents uh, by helping our customers and our staff working from home, uh, the office uh, in isolation and safety. Um, by listening to our customers, we are offering positive information on how to diversify their businesses and offering them ideas which can be uplifting, talk to them regularly. And we've uh, offered them assistance in terms of how to apply for grants, bank loans, business interruption loans. And we're now looking at uh, other opportunities further afield. Um, VoIP is a ma has a massive opportunity in this, uh, all over the planet in fact, but in this, in this country it has a massive opportunity where um, existing people had a phone system and it was in their building and we were all furloughed and then we ran to the hills and we went and worked from home. Uh, some people adopted new technologies. We are now seeing uh, questions being asked by our customers. How can we merge the two? How can we integrate the two? Um, only yesterday I was talking to Microsoft in Istanbul about how um, we can integrate their um, team technology, Microsoft Teams, with uh, VoIP cloud telephony because our customers are asking those questions. School only the other day said to me, um, we've, we were using phones at home, uh, at school. Now we've gone gone home. We're teaching the children from home. We're using Teams, using Zoom. Uh, we do podcasts. How can we get those two to integrate? Because when we go back, when this cycle changes, when we're all back together, the world is going to be a different place. Some of our staff will be working remotely. Some of our uh, staff will be working in offices. And I think over the next 12 months will be a very interesting time to see how the technologies merge and evolve. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program, and I do hope that you can come back on when things get back to some semblance of normalcy. Mark, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. It's been a fantastic opportunity, to, and, and I thank you for the time listening to me. 
That was Mark Hodgkinson, Director of Operations of Seafoam Communications. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more 
looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be 
be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen, so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i I think and i don't uh, not for me not for a second i think Mm. i was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you to. It won't be too long to tell you. 
uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Lines jersey or jersey two or three mm. years ago in most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want, you want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. 
their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great and players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, 
you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is showed, team. The word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, it, you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.